Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I, I pray in the name of Jesus that you enlighten the eyes of our heart, Lord, through this through this, uh, this message, through uh, the words of, of Deuteronomy chapter 32, this song that we're about to study, Lord, it's a song. And, and Father, I, uh, I think of Moses' words about this song. It, um, it says in here, Lord, that it is, this song was to be a witness for you against the children of Israel. And, and, and I pray, Father, that um, it there would be a witness that this song would make to our hearts, Lord. And particularly, if there's anything about our hearts, Lord, that needs corrected, I pray this song would be a witness against that. And so, Lord, do that work, Lord, and give us the grace to repent as we're um, exposing our heart uh, to the Word of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, Moses and Israel on the east side of the Jordan, and Moses is wrapping up. Uh, he has more or less concluded uh, his instructions uh, for the the children of Israel, and uh, the idea is twofold behind uh, this book, Deuteronomy, and the words therein. The law had been given uh, 39 years earlier uh, at the bottom of Mount Sinai to the children of Israel, but it was the parents of those who are in this hearing. So, uh, one reason for this is just to exhort again uh, and uh, give a, a summary and then also just adding to it uh, the, the law that, that they had uh, received before, and I should say adding to it. Uh, it's true, it, he's, it's added to it, but it's, it's all really uh, an expansion and sort of interweaving uh, the same, uh, the same message, the same law that was um, already given. Uh, it's uh, you could say uh, the law here is being. Uh, it, 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 it's it's Moses is adding flavor to it. He is adding some additional instruction. He is adding meaning to it. He's adding interpretation to it. Uh, so, in uh, it's not just that he's um, he's adding as if he just wants to add one law after another, like the United States Congress does. It's it's more really uh, uh, a continuation of the same law that was given at Mount Sinai. But there's a second reason that he is uh, giving this word in the book of Deuteronomy, and that is he's going, the nation of Israel, going into a land which uh, the Lord had already told them that they would be prospering greatly. And uh, if there's one 
recipe for a nation just becoming ruined in prosperity. It's not being spiritually prepared. And so he's been spiritually preparing, preparing them. He is uh, repeating uh, some of the things uh, that he's saying. He's, he's repeating many times. He, he is uh, telling them many times, be careful to observe all the words of these laws. Be careful uh, of that. And so, uh, among other things that he he repeats. But uh, in chapter 31, uh, verse 19, again, more or less, his instructions are, are, are almost done. And he, and he tells them that, look, I am going to... Uh, um, actually, it's, it's God telling Moses, write down this song for yourselves. Uh, write down this song. And, and God tells Moses, and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Uh, so that uh, when evils and, and, and trouble uh, turn against them when, or as verse 20 says, when they fill themselves and grow fat, uh, meaning they forget about me and they, they serve other gods, this song will be a testimony against them for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. Uh, and, and again, every opportunity I get, I, 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 I strongly recommend uh, for your family that you uh, put restrictions on secular music because notice there that in verse 21 of chapter th uh, 31 it says you won't forget this song. The problem with the problem with songs or the benefit of them is you don't forget them once you know them. And so if you learn a secular song with garbage lyrics, that garbage is going to be going around in your mind for the rest of your life. Um, Whereas if it's a worship song and it's got good doctrine, good teaching in the song or good praise, that song is going to be going uh, on in your mind for the rest of your life. And the Holy Spirit knows that. God knows that. So he says, I, I, I'm going to teach this song. It's going to become a famous song in Israel. And uh, because it's a song, it won't be forgotten. And as it's not going to be forgotten, when you guys backslide big time, you're going to remember as you're singing the words of the song, wait a second, what are we doing? We need to return to the Lord. It says, verse 22, Moses wrote the song down the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. So the, chapter 32 is this song. And so here it goes. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. And so uh, he's calling heaven and earth as a witness to the words uh, of this song, which he's about to speak. Verse 2, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grass. And so, uh, listen, the hope of every single time we have a devotion time with the Lord is that we have hearts or 
that are made up of good soil. Uh, in the parable of the so sowers, there was four kinds of, so uh, of soil. One was the, the, the first um, soil was just hard or even rock and and uh, but the, the the fourth soil was 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 good soil and notice here in verse 2 it says let my teaching drop as the rain my speech distill as the dew as rain drops on the tender herb as showers on the grass so when our hearts um, when our hearts are of that that fourth soil in the in the parable of the soils, or the sower, whatever you call that particular uh, parable, this is what happens, verse 2, that the teaching, the Word of God, drops in his rain, that it's like uh, raindrops on the tender herb, or showers on the grass, that just the grass soaking it in. Uh, and and that's that's what we want, and that's what God wants. He wants um, your de devotion time to uh, land on a heart with good soil like that, so that it would be refreshing, a refreshment to you. But it was also His heart that this very song in Deuteronomy 32 would uh, be received the same way. Unfortunately, the song. Um, According to Moses' prophecy, there would come a time where they would be singing the song with their lips, but their their hearts would become hard. And so, uh, nevertheless, they don't forget uh, the song. Um, but it's God's desire that the song, the words of the song, would always, uh, again, uh, verse 2, let my teaching drop as the rain. Verse 3, for I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Oh, would we remind ourselves of this every day, but particularly when there are circumstances and people in our life that seem so difficult, just to remember Verse 4, that his work is perfect and all his ways are justice. Uh, meaning uh, that in the natural that may not seem fair, uh, that God's being fair with you, that it may seem that he's not being just with you or loving with you, but he is. Verse 4 says his work is perfect. He's doing that perfect work in you. It's going to work a good work in your life and it's so good to re to uh, to remember that verse 5 says they have corrupted themselves so this is really a prophetical song uh, recognizing that the children of Israel notwithstanding the way the fact that God is rock that his work is perfect uh, that his ways are justice, they're going to decide to corrupt themselves. They are not his children. Because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. And so, uh, that's a, an arresting verse, that second line there that says they are not his children. Uh, I think the idea there is that they have more or less forsaken uh, uh, God 
their father, they've forsaken him, and uh, are no longer behaving as children. They've they've left him. They've uh, he, he's father in title only, and uh, so for that reason, this very strong arresting statement: they are not his children. Verse six: Do you thus deal with the Lord, O you uh, foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? And so uh, I'm always, uh, my heart is always warmed whenever I think about the concepts of, of, of us being purchased. Uh, we were purchased as a ransom, it says, of Jesus Christ and on the cross. The, the purchase price for us was the Son of God Himself and the judgment, the wrath that, um, that, that was inflicted on Him, meted on Him. That was the purchase price. And just that, that thinking about how, um, how, it, how costly it was to God to, to purchase us back. First uh, Peter 1, 18, 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed or that you were purchased from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so um, here in Deuteronomy, looking forward to the cross, is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? So in a very real sense, um, they had been purchased. Now, um, this all looking forward to the cross, of course, but in a way, um, you could almost say those 10 plagues, those judgments inflicted on Egypt were um, also, in, in a way, a type of a purchase, a judgment uh, that was necessary to, to redeem them, to bring them out. But uh, again, all a foreshadowing of the purchase price, uh, the purchase price, which was uh, the Son of God uh, dying on a cross for you, for me, for Israel, for our our, our children and their uh, their children. If Jesus tarries, verse seven. Remember the days of old. Remember this is a song. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He will show you. Your elders, they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nation, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of, uh, of the children of Israel. Now, verse 8 there appears to be... Uh, a reference to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11... Uh, where he separated people, uh, the nations. Uh, of course, they had different languages, and uh, he had, from that time, had uh, separated boundaries even for the children of Israel. In other words, he's set aside a land uh, for them. And it says, verse 9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Now, this has got to be one of the most 
shocking concepts in the Bible, and it's not only here that somehow his people are his portion, his people are his inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 18 says the same thing of you if you are a born-again Christian. It says that you are his inheritance. And this is a, a, a shocking thing that uh, you talk about self-esteem. You talk about having value in who you are. Uh, you, you are God's portion. You are his inheritance. The church is his inheritance. It's what he's inheriting. It ties into the very purpose that the world was created. God was um, separating a people who would, rather God would separate a people who um, would be his inheritance. And so uh, just a, an incredible statement that uh, the, the Israel is actually the Lord's portion, his inheritance. And of course, we are grafted in as born-again Christians, as Romans says, into that. We're, we're his portion. I, I tell you, you chew on that for a while. And uh, it just warms your heart. Verse 10, it says, He found him, meaning Israel, in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. So this is a reference to uh, when God called Abraham out of Babylon. Now, some people feel like... Uh, when it says he found him in a desert land, a wasteland, a, a howling wilderness, that is a reference just to the geography, the topography of that area um, of the world. Uh, however, I, I, I think that the reference to that area as a howling wilderness indicates that this is probably more a reference to the fact that spiritually they were 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 lost, maybe a, a even a reference to the demonic realm just uh, really reigning supreme in Babylon, and, and I say that because uh, it Ur, where Abraham was called out of, appears to be a place of great prosperity. Uh, that there was, it was just a, a prospering, even a wealthy commun uh, community. So it doesn't sound to me like a howling wilderness. Uh, I, I, I tend to think this is more the fact that, that they were just desperately lost. And some of you listening now, I know for me, uh, just describing my pre-Christian unsaved mind was like a howling wilderness. Uh, but it says here that God encircled him, he instructed him, and just that, that picture of salvation there, of God setting aside or taking, taking in, gathering to himself uh, Abraham uh, as well as the children of Israel. And it says, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Now, if ever there's an interesting word study uh, it's got to be this, that word apple, the um, actual meaning of that in the Hebrew is pupil, as in the pupil of your eye, but the literal translation means little man. It's me, 
ish, the diminutive of the Hebrew word ish, little man. Now, I find it fascinating that uh, this was written, of course, uh, thousands of, of years ago. The song was given, and uh, they didn't, they could not possibly have known that a pupil uh, is like, it's been likened to a black mirror. Uh, in other words, uh, images that are seen. So if you are looking, uh, if you're in front of someone looking at a person, uh, the image of that person is actually inside your pupil. And it's inside your pupil, and the image is 30,000 times smaller than the image itself. And... I tell you, this imagery is just stunning here. Uh, that this is this is God describing His relationship with the children of Israel. Israel, uh, that uh, you know, the, the, you're the pupil, meaning I I have my I have my eye on you, but it's actually more than that. Uh, your image, your person, who you are is is burned into my very eye. And so uh, this is, again, the same uh, could be said of every single born-again Christian, including you, that um, God has his eye on you. In fact, just the, the reflection of your person, your silhouette, whatever you might call it, is burned into uh, uh the very heart of God, the pupil of God, the, the eyes of, of God. Uh, and so, incredible description of his love for you, for the church, for the nation of Israel. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. And so, this is a, a, a reference to, if you've never heard this, an eagle teaches its young to fly by actually uh, basically pushing them um, off uh, the, the ledge of a, of a cliff and uh, will swoop down below and actually catch the, their young on the top of their wings and that's how they train them up. And so God, a reference here, beautiful reference to uh, him training the, the nation of Israel and just nurturing them, doting on them, carrying them on its wings. And this is how God raises uh, you up and I up. Oh, when I think of just the early years and the foolishness of of learning how to walk with the Lord, how many times that the Lord had to come and rescue me and and, and uh, prevent me from smashing onto the ground like a, a baby eagle and carrying it, uh, me on his wings. But that's just a description of, of God's love. Verse 12, uh, so the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. And so uh, a reference uh, to, uh, uh, it's unclear whether this is in between Abraham and Moses or this is Moses, between Moses 
and uh, when Moses delivered them from Egypt and the the time which would have been then the current time 40 years later, I, I tend to think that it was the latter. There is, the Bible does say that in Egypt they gave themselves over to, uh, you know, worship of foreign gods. I remember there's a reference to some of Jacob's wives hiding, uh, hiding their images, their their idols, and so. But in that time after uh, the golden calf, uh, there appears that they had rid themselves of that type of thing, and so there was no foreign god with them at that time. Verse 13 says, God made him ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat the produce of the fields, that he made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the flint, curds from the cattle, milk of the flock, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the choicest wheat and you drank wine, the blood of the grape. So here, now, this is a prophetic place of this psalm, of this of the song, rather. In other words, verse 13 and 14 hadn't happened yet. Uh, it was Bashan in verse 14. That's a part of the, the land of Canaan. And so um, this is... This, these two verses of the song are anticipating the great prosperity that God has told them that they are going to experience. It says, He made him ride in the heights of the earth. He made him draw honey from the rock. In other words, He, he, he made them experience this prosperity. Reminds me a little of Psalm 23, where it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, uh, it, it, sometimes there, there are some things in life, it's the Lord making us. And can you imagine that, that imagery of God making us prosper? It's like they didn't even have a choice here. Uh, verse 14, again, the images of prosperity, curds from the cattle, milk of the flock, the fat of lambs, you know, rams, goats with the choicest wheat, uh, this uh, type of thing. Uh, so they're going to prosper greatly. Verse 15 continues with the prophetic piece of this song. And, and so verse 12 and before really is more talking about their history. Uh, but now we're getting into the future. But Jeshurun, another word for Israel, grew fat and kicked. He grew fat. You grew thick. You are obese. Therefore he forsook God who made him, and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. And so inevitably, the, the issue with obedience, um, it always leads to prosperity. And prosperity, unless there's a fear of God, leads to what verse, verse 15 says happens, growing fat and kicking. Kicking is uh, just uh, the imagery there is of a, a, a donkey or a horse or perhaps even uh, some other cattle kicking at its master in defiance. He grew fat and kicked. He didn't care. Um, he grew fat, meaning lazy, spiritually lazy, not caring about 
God and and uh, thinking he can you know live without the Lord and it result it's, it is a prophetic part of the song it will result in him forsaking God who made him can you can you uh, imagine the absurdity God makes man and man forsakes him and 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 you know that alone that verse what a beautiful thing just to remind ourselves from time to time god made us god made us and he deserves 100 percent of our surrender and obedience uh, he made us but it says they forsook god who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation verse 16 they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. And so, uh, Right there, it's just referring to the fact that in the future they would uh, return to gods. It says, uh, including gods they did not know, new arrivals, meaning gods they never even knew about in Egypt, or gods of more, you know, recent creation that man just created new gods. Uh, they're just going to go after them. They're going to experiment with whatever comes along. Uh, notice how they do say it does say here they sacrifice to demons. Uh, the Bible does say in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, it says, The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Meaning there's a demon behind every idol. Uh, and, and this is not the case only with um, a, a small statue of an idol or an Im image of a saint that someone may pray to, an idol, this type of thing. But, but it's also the case, I, I, I think of Wall Street, um, the idol of, of money and greed. There's a demon behind that. There's demonic activity behind that. And uh, it, so it says that they're going to be sacrificing to demons, not to God, verse 17. And it says in verse 18, of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful. Now keep in mind, the purpose of the song is for them to all of a sudden wake up from a drunken stupor of, uh, not, not drunk literally, uh, meaning from alcohol, but a, a, a drunken stupor of having forgotten God. They're going to wake up from it and they're going to be, this, all of a sudden the, the words of the song are going to come into their mind and they're like, oh yeah. And... One of the one of the verses of the song is right here in verse eighteen of the rock who begot you. You are unmindful, and so just imagine someone in a backslidden state. You're right. I'm unmindful. The song I remembered is is reminding me of that. It says, "And you have forgotten the God who fathered you. He fathered you. He cared for you." Uh, it, it says that he. Again, we read this. He. 
He found you in a desert land. He encircled you. He instructed you. He kept you as the apple of, uh, of your eye, and you have forgotten him. Verse 19, and when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. So it's a beautiful, you know, the, the, image, the, the, the imagery of, of uh, not the imagery, the title of father is more of a New Testament thing, but you do see it in the Old Testament, including in these verses uh, here in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, verse 19, again, because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters, you see that father imagery said it says in verse 20 and god said i will hide my face from them i will see what their end will be for they are a perverse generation children in whom is no faith they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not god they have moved me to anger by their foolish idols but i will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation i will move them to anger by a foolish nation. And so uh, right there, Paul uh, quotes uh, this verse, I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are uh, not a nation. And he uh, he quotes that, I, I believe he provokes, oh yeah, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 19, just speaking of Israel, uh, that... Uh, again, this is all this song in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy is a pro pro prophecy, and 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 Paul brings it up. He goes, uh, you know, it's the hope of God that the Gentiles prospering greatly in their relationship with the Lord will provoke the nation of Israel to jealousy, and and so uh, here you have it. I will move to them to anger by a foolish nation. Verse 22, verse 22, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn to the lowest hell. It shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountain. I will heap disasters on them. I will sp spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger, devoured by a pestilence and bitter destruction. I will also send against them the teeth of beasts with the poisons of serpents of the dust. The sword shall destroy outside. There shall be terror within for the young man and virgin, the, the nursing child with a man of gray hairs. So speaking that everyone is going to be subject to this judgment, that the young child, the, uh, the old folks, a lot of this is, is putting into a song that which we read uh, of the curses in chapter 28, the curses for disobedient. Here they, here it has been being put to a song. Uh, verse, 26, uh, verse 26, I would have said I will dash them in pieces. I will uh, make them the memory of them to cease am from among men had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say our hand is high and it is not the Lord who has done this. So verse 27 appears to mean that because God does not want his enemies 
thinking that the reason that the people of Israel perished was because their God was not a strong God. You know, he's appearing to say, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to utterly just, uh, you know, destroy all of them. Of course, we know that God has always had a remnant. Uh, but uh, part of the reason that he didn't destroy, the main reason he didn't destroy the remnant was because the, the land of the Messiah was there and uh, it was his plan for the redemption of the world. But another reason was that he didn't want their adversaries to misunderstand what was going on. That's what verse 27 said. Verse 28 continues, it says, for they are a nation void of counsel. This is, I believe, back speaking of the children of Israel. For they are a nation void of counsel, nor is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise and they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and put, two, put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? So this is a pre pre prophetical statement apparently referring to sometime in the future where uh, a very small amount of opposing troops would be able to defeat them even though they may be a very large army and the Lord is just saying here it's incredible that the you know when this is happening but they're not going to come to their senses and things will get incredibly bad to them but their hearts will be so, so hard uh, they're not going to come to their senses senses and say, hey, may maybe the reason I'm in this bind that I am and in this fix that I am is because I haven't been following God. No, they're going to have uh, hard hearts. That's what uh, verse 29 and 30, the concept that those verses uh, is bringing out. The song continues in verse 31, for their rock is not like our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of cobras. Uh, some think verses 31 through uh, 33 and even after are referring to Israel's enemies. But I believe it's just a continue, uh, continuation uh, of... It's a continuation of, you know, what's happening to Israel and Israel's attitudes. Their rock is not like our rock, meaning they, they're not behaving like children anymore. They, they, they've gone out and, and, and they uh, have made a different foundation. It's like Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, someone who doesn't put my words into practice is like someone who built his house up on the sand. And so their rock is not like our rock. Uh, so, um, verse 33, their wine is the poison of serpents, the cruel venom of, of cobras. Uh, just referring to uh, their, their sustenance. What, what this rebellious children of Israel, what they're sustaining themselves on is like poison their idolatry, their, their behavior, their practice, their sexual immorality, their, uh, their greed. It's like the poison of serpents, the cruel venom of cobras, verse 33 says. 
Verse 34 says, Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures? Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. So, let me read verse 36 as well. It says, verse 36 says, For the Lord will judge his people, and then he'll have compassion on his sermon. When he see, rather, on his servants, when he sees that their power is gone and there is no one remaining bond or free. So, verse 34, where it says, Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up among my treasures, vengeance is mine. This is all referring to God's wrath being stored up for the day of vengeance. And uh, and and that says and and because all their behavior, and we see this in the book of Judges, and then of course in in first and, and second Kings, their behavior is getting worse and worse and worse as judgment is being stored up, but vengeance vengeance is mine then it says in verse 35 their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand what for whatsoever a man uh, uh, sows he shall reap it's just a, a principle it's built into uh, you know actually it's built into the very gene pool of makeup of planet earth uh, but particularly with the children of God their feet will slip in due time. It, they're, they're going, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be calamity. You cannot just rebel against God and not be chastened. Uh, now, that verse there in verse 35, their foot shall slip in due time. That actually was the verse that was used by Jonathan Edwards uh, to preach... Uh, the most famous sermon ever given on American soil in Northampton, Massachusetts, about 45 minutes to an hour away from here. This uh, the 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 sermon was entitled. Actually, I think the the sermon his church, Jonathan Edwards' church, was in Northampton. But this um, the 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 sermon itself was first delivered in in Connecticut, uh, but it was called "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry." God and uh, it's it's an astonishing sermon. It, it it really is. But the sermon was used to kick off maybe the greatest revival that uh, America ever knew uh, in the uh, is it the late 1730s and early uh, early part of uh, the 1740s. The Great Awakening. It was called. It was this verse. Their foot shall slip in due time. And Jonathan Edwards said, look who's addressing um, a congregation uh, in uh, in Connecticut uh, was was using these verses here that look the the wrath of God is being stored up and if you think you're going to get away with it you're wrong uh, your foot will slip in due time and and people really uh, broke out into uh, just sobbing and uh, just sobbing and and mourning and in great repentance. 
uh, with uh, the the quotation of this verse here, or, or or a sermon based upon this uh, this verse here, their foot shall slip in due time. And so uh, let's continue. Verse thirty six says, "For the Lord will judge his people." But then it says, "And he will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is no no one remaining bond or free." In other words, where when the judgment uh, is has has reached its fullness. It's accomplished its purpose. Um, the Lord will have compassion on Israel. It's a unilateral uh, covenant that He made with Abraham, uh, and so uh, it was not bilateral. It means you know they they could rebel and. Uh, and, and rebel to the point where they had to be severely judged, but God was always going to bring them back. Why? Because he had promised to do so. Verse seven says, verse 37 says, He will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering, and let them rise and help you and be your refuge. And so time after time, you see this also in the book of Judges, they... they they worship other gods and they become completely impoverished. And so here is some sanctified uh, sarcasm here. In verse 37, well, where are the gods that you worship? Why aren't they saving you now and in your impoverished state? Uh, and so the song continues says verse 39 now see that I even I am he and there is no God besides me and so this is the song and when the light bulb bulb uh, turns on and they're in their backslidden state it's like oh yeah you know there is no God besides our God we need to turn back to him so that's what the purpose of this song is Verse 39 continues, I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. You, you can't fight against God. It, 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 you'll never ever win. If you're listening to this message and you're fighting against the Lord, you're not going to win. It says, nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. Verse 40, for I raise my hand to heaven and I say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand take, takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my swords shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, verse 43, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and his, and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And so that is the end of the uh, of the song. That again they would be in a f exile to a foreign nation, or m maybe as the time of Book of Judges, they're in the time of rebellion. This song would bring them back to their sent uh, to their senses there and uh, one of the things it ends with is that is that look no matter how how low you are no matter how much you have been vanquished by your enemy 
if you return to me, I'm going to avenge the blood of my servants. Of, of He still called them servants, even though they rebelled. And so the, the, when the enemies of the God came in and meted out judgment against the children of Israel because of their disobedience, God's going to turn around and avenge that blood. And so they, the idea here is they're listening, they're singing the song, and they're like, okay, we need to turn to the Lord and these enemy, enemies who are oppressing us, he's going to deal with them. He's going to render vengeance against them. And, and then finally, and he will provide atonement for his land and of his people, which of course was, uh, was fulfilled with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 40 says, So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. And so uh, we'll end there because verse 45 really is connected to uh, chapter 33 and chapter 34. Uh, next time will be our last message in the book of uh, Deuteronomy. At least this time around. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll take to get all the way back to Deuteronomy. But uh, uh, with that, um, we'll pick it up next time in verse 45. God bless you.